Today's message is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, once again, as we, as we continue to walk through all of these important passages that point us toward the first advent of Christ, as we continue to celebrate the birth of Christ, our King and Savior, 2,000 years ago, as we celebrate his birth throughout the month of December. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that today and the remaining Advent services would be opportunities for the Holy Spirit to increase our admiration of you and of your son and all that you have done for us, your people. As we recognize the incredible sacrifice that was given by Christ, not just in his death and resurrection, but in his willingness to step out of the glory of heaven and to become human for us. Father, we pray that you would direct our attention heavenward. We pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. So last week, um, for our first Advent service, we looked at the promise that God made to Adam and Eve in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, or I'm sorry, 315, where God, when cursing the serpent, says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, And this offspring of the woman, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we looked at the fact that despite Adam and Eve's uh, cosmic treason against God, God in his compassion makes a promise to someday send a redeemer to fix what Adam and Eve had ruined to someday undo what they had destroyed, which is living in a perfect, harmonious, loving relationship with the God of creation. The moment they sinned against God in their heart and in their mind and became prideful and chose to rebel against God, they forever damaged that relationship between us and our Creator. So today we look at 
the steps that God begins to take in order to ensure that promise is fulfilled. In Genesis 3.15, God tells us there that there will be two lines of humanity running throughout all of world history, throughout all of redemptive history. There will be the spiritual line of the woman, the spiritual descendants of the woman, that is the people of God, and there will be the spiritual descendants of the serpent or of Satan himself. And that these two lines, as they run throughout all of redemptive history, will be at enmity against one another. And that it is from the line of the woman that the Messiah will someday come. According to Luke chapter 3, Abraham falls within that spiritual line of the woman. Just to refresh, when Luke records the genealogy of Christ. He starts with Adam. He makes his way all the way down to the birth of Christ. But he tells us in Luke chapter 3 that Adam gave birth to Seth. You remember Seth was Adam's third son. The first was Cain. The second was Abel. Cain kills Abel. God curses Cain, and then he takes off on his own. So Adam gives birth to a third son while birth through his wife Eve, obviously, Adam begets Seth. Seth begets Enos. He begets Canaan. He gives birth to Mahalalel, to Jared, to Enoch. We all know the story of Enoch, right? Enoch walked with God and was no more because he was so righteous. Who gives birth to Methuselah, to Lamech, to Noah, who has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, of course, we know that Ham is cursed, but Shem and Japheth both do the right thing. They walk backwards with a blanket, and they cover their father's nakedness, and yet Shem is in the line of the Messiah, who gives birth to Arphaxad, who gives birth to Canaan, to Shelah, to Eber, to Peleg, to Ru, to Sherug, to Nahor, to Terah, and to Abraham. And Abraham has two other brothers, Haran and Nahor. So what is interesting is that when you look at this list, it does not include everyone. As I've already mentioned, Cain is not in this list. So even though Cain comes from Eve, he is not in the spiritual line of the woman. Ham and Japheth are not in this list, and neither are Abraham's two brothers, Haran and Nahor. Thus, there are the people of God, the spiritual people of God, this line of the woman running throughout history, and then there is the spiritual line of the serpent. And from that line, the line of the woman that God prophesies about in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 God calls Abraham out of the land of Ur. We see that in chapter 11, verse 28 and 31. In 28, it says, Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And in verse 31 says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, 
his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. The question is why? Why does God call Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans? Two reasons. Number one, to ensure that the promise that is given in Genesis 3.15 is fulfilled. To ensure that that promise is fulfilled, God uses specific individuals through whom to bring about that promise. In other words, God makes that promise in Genesis 3.15, and now to ensure that promise comes through fruition, he is going to choose certain individuals throughout all of redemptive history in order to bring about the birth of Christ, the king, which would occur 2,000 years after Abraham. But the second reason that God calls Abraham is to ensure that when that promise is fulfilled, that God gets all the glory. That God gets all the glory. You see, had God allowed... Had God simply allowed for history to continue and then at some point in time bring about the Messiah, you know, had God made a promise in Genesis 3.15 and said, okay, I've made this promise, now I'll just let humanity reproduce and I'll let them marry and intermarry and spread all over the world and at some point in time I'll bring about the Messiah, no one would know who that Messiah is. No one would know that this is the fulfillment of the promise unless they could somehow trace that birth, that fulfillment, all the way back to Genesis 3.15. So Abraham, God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans in order to make him the father of a new nation. Abraham becomes the father of a new nation, the nation of Israel. Keep in mind, Abraham wasn't looking to start a nation. But God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans in order to be the father of a nation. And it is for that reason that where he comes from and who his descendants are matter. You see, had Abraham never been the father of the nation of Israel then the name Abraham would never be remembered by history. Because in history, we always make it a point to remember who started this country. Who's the father of this nation? Once God calls Abraham and determines you are going to be the beginning of a great nation, from that moment on, everybody that comes before Abraham and everybody who descends from Abraham is significant and is recorded. This is the reason that Matthew and Luke are able to trace the lineage of Jesus all the way back to Abraham and to Adam. Because all of Abraham's descendants were recorded. So God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans in order to, number one, ensure the promise is fulfilled, and number two, 
to ensure that when that promise is fulfilled, God gets all the glory because we'll then be able to say, uh-huh, here's the promise. And we know this is the promise because we can trace him all the way back to Abraham, which is what Matthew does, and all the way back to Adam, which is what Luke does. In the end, God is going to ensure the promise of Genesis 3.15 is fulfilled and that everyone knows that promise has been fulfilled. And so we have here God calling Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And the call of Abraham is one of the best examples of God's sovereign grace. This cannot be lost on you. It is one of the singular best examples of the sovereign saving grace of God. You see, because Abraham is a pagan who comes from a pagan family. He was not a worshiper of Yahweh. As far as we can tell, he had no idea who Yahweh was. He wasn't looking for God. We know this from clear passages like Joshua chapter 24. I'll just read it to you. One verse, Joshua chapter 24, verse 2 says this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. Abraham was a pagan. He worshiped false gods. He probably had all kinds of statues and idols that he would bow down to and had no idea who the one true God of creation was. Yet God simply calls him to be his own. Secondly, Abraham has two other brothers, Nahor and Haran. So why choose Abraham? As far as the text is concerned, there is no difference between Abraham and Nahor and Haran. This is not like Noah's sons, right, where there was one that was bad and gets cursed. The other two are good. All three of them seem to be on equal standing. All three of them seem to be good kids. All three of them are good pagan worshipers. Abraham is not looking for God. And God, out of the blue, simply speaks to him and says, you. Who, me? Yes, you. You are going to be the father of a great nation, and I am going to enter into an everlasting covenant relationship with you. And then he makes certain promises to him in the passages that we'll begin to read. Of course, that covenant is not actually inaugurated until Genesis chapter 15. You're probably familiar with the story. God tells Abraham to take certain animals, cut them in half. Abraham knows what's happening. This was not new to him. This was a common way of making a covenant between two or more individuals. The interesting thing about that story in Genesis 15 is that God causes Abraham to fall asleep. And God himself passes between the pieces. Because you see, in biblical times, normally when two human beings made a covenant, they would both walk between the pieces of the cut animals. The idea was that if either one of us violates this covenant agreement between you and I, then may what happened to these animals happen to me. God causes Abraham to fall asleep. 
And God himself passes between the pieces because essentially God is saying to Abraham, I alone will fulfill the promises of this covenant. It is a covenant of unconditional grace. And in the sign of that covenant is given in Genesis 17, which is the sign of circumcision as a sign of that covenant. But then we get to chapter 12 of Genesis, verses 1 to 3. And now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In these three verses, God essentially makes four promises to Abraham. The first is in the first half of verse 2. He says, I will make of you a great nation. There will come a day when Abraham's descendants will be numerous and they will be a great, massive, powerful nation. What is interesting is that this never happens in the life of Abraham. Abraham only has one son by the time he dies. And then that son only gives birth to two Right? Abraham gives birth to Isaac. Isaac gives birth to Jacob and Esau. This doesn't happen in the life of Abraham. In fact, it never really happens in the life of Israel. I mean, they do become a nation with kings, but in, in comparison, in the realm of all of world history, Israel never rose to the dominance of, say, the Babylonian Empire or even the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. They never rose to the level of the Roman Empire or the Napoleonic Empire or the British Empire, who at one point controlled two-thirds of the Earth's land area. Israel has always been a tiny nation. A tiny nation in the Middle East. They never really rose to the status, what we would think of as a great and powerful and mighty nation. But that is the promise that God gives to Abraham. Secondly, he says, I will bless you and make your name great. In other words, Abraham would be a name that would never be forgotten by history. And that is true right? Abraham is a name that is known on every continent around the world. Take any class on the history of Western civilization, and you are going to study the historical figure of Abraham. He's the father of the nation of Israel, and of course, Israel has had enormous political impact in both the Western and the Eastern world ever since its conception. Abraham's name certainly has become a great name. Thirdly, he says, I will bless those who bless you. In verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I 
will curse. That is, God will be the shield and defender of Abraham and of his descendants because these promises, almost word for word, are repeated to his son, Isaac, and then are also repeated to Jacob. This promise is to Abraham and to his descendants that those who bless you, Abraham, those who treat you well, I will be a blessing to them. Those who curse you, Abraham, those who dishonor you, those who are opposed to you, God says, I will be opposed to them. And this applies to Abraham and his descendants. We see this in the life of Abraham. We see this when God protects Abraham when he goes to war against four kings in order to rescue his son Lot or his nephew Lot. But Abraham goes to war against four kings with only 318 men and is victorious. And then on his way back, he is met by the king of Salem, who was also a high priest, Melchizedek, who blesses Abraham. We also see this when God protects Sarah from king um, from Pharaoh at the end of Genesis chapter 12. We see this when God protects Sarah from king uh, Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20. You know, honestly, you could say that God is protecting Sarah from Abraham's stupidity. Why? Because Sarah treated Abraham well. Why? We have no idea. She was a great woman. She submitted to him. She followed his leadership, right? She went wherever he would drag her all over the Middle East. And so when Abraham's stupidity gets Sarah into trouble, God intervenes. Because the promise that God makes to Abraham, I will bless and protect and defend those who bless you and are good to you. That includes Sarah. And I will curse and be opposed to those who curse you and are opposed to you. And then the fourth promise is at the second half of verse 3. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you were just to look at the life of Abraham, that promise is never fulfilled in Abraham's lifetime. Abraham dies, and he only has one son. And yes, he becomes well-known within the land of Canaan because he's acquired so much wealth. The nearby nations become familiar with him. The nearby tribes become familiar with him. But by the end of his life, Abraham is never known by anybody on the other side of the planet. Even when Israel reaches its zenith under the leadership of King David, Israel is not known on the other side of the planet. And yet God says to him, in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So how and when does God keep this promise to Abraham? All of these promises to Abraham. The New Testament makes clear that all of these promises are fulfilled in Christ. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, Scripture says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. What a bold statement for Paul to make. Paul is a Jew himself. 
And yet he says, know that it is those of faith, not the physical descendants of Abraham, not the physical offspring of Abraham, but it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. How can Paul say that? Here's how he says in verse 8, the very next verse. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. When God made that promise to Abraham 2,000 years before Christ, he was saying to Abraham, this is what Paul means, the gospel was preached to Abraham in advance because God was saying to Abraham that the blessing that you have received from me, Abraham, the blessing of being saved by grace, the blessing of being justified by faith alone, the blessing of being brought into a covenant relationship with the living God simply by faith alone would someday be a blessing that would spread to all families of the earth, both Jews and Gentiles. The gospel was being proclaimed to Abraham 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. Through Christ and the advancement of the gospel, Abraham has certainly become a blessing to all the nations of the world. Because that blessing that was limited initially just to Abraham, but even was limited to the nation of Israel, you know, by the time Christ comes, nobody outside of the nation of Israel is familiar with the one true God of creation. Only Israel knows of him. The rest of the planet outside of the nation of Israel, outside of that tiny little nation, is living in utter darkness. People in China, people in South America, people in North America, people all across Europe, all across Russia, what becomes Russia, the rest of the world is living in total darkness. Only Israel knows the one true God of creation. God says to Abraham, there's going to come a day when that knowledge will spread throughout every continent on the planet. And through you, Abraham, you will be a blessing to all nations. Paul understands that that promise given to Abraham is the promise that the Messiah would come through him. He says that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. There he says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. You see, Abraham thought that the fulfillment of that promise was in Isaac. You're going to have a son from your own body. He tells him in Genesis chapter 15, 
when Abraham complains and says, I don't have any children. I'm childless. Eleazar of Damascus is going to be the heir of all of my possessions. And God says, no, but you will have a son from your own body. And when Isaac comes along, Abraham thinks, that's it. Here it is. This is the promise. Paul says, no, that wasn't it. It wasn't Isaac. It wasn't Jacob. It wasn't even the nation of Israel. Ultimately, Christ is the promised seed that was given to Abraham. Thus, all those in union with Christ by faith are the children of Abraham. That is Paul's point. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham because they are the spiritual descendants of the woman. They are the spiritual seed of Abraham. In this way, the other promises given to Abraham are also fulfilled through Christ as well. God would make Abraham into a great nation. He tells him that in Genesis 15. You remember that story? Abraham's concerned. He doesn't have any children. He's getting along in years. He was given that promise. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, he's 75 years old when God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Ten years later, he's 85 years old, and he says to God, look, I'm not getting any younger. God takes him outside, and he says, look up to the heavens. If you can number the stars, Abraham, so will your descendants be. But that never happens to Abraham in his own life. That never even really happens to the nation of Israel, because even at their zenith, they are still a very small nation. The children of Abraham are those who are in union with Christ by faith. Then Abraham's children are all believers throughout all of world history. Paul says that in Galatians 3, 7, but he also makes it very clear in verse 29. And if you are Christ, let me read verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Jew nor Greek. It doesn't matter who you're physical lineage belongs to. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. It doesn't matter what social class you are born into. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ. You are in union with Christ by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 29, and if you are Christ, listen, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You are the children of Abraham, heirs according to promise. What does he mean by that? The promises given to Abraham that we just read in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we, the spiritual descendants of Abraham, are the heirs of those promises because of our faith in Christ. That God would make Abraham into a great nation. Of course, Abraham's name has certainly not been forgotten. As I said before, any study of Western civilization 
You're going to study the life and the historical person of Abraham. But understand that it is only because of Christ that Abraham's name has not been forgotten. It is only because of Christ that the nation of Israel has become significant throughout all of redemptive history. All of the wars that have been fought over that little piece of land, all of the crusades where the Christian world went east to try to take it back from the Muslim invaders is all because of Christ. If Christ had not come into the world, there would be no Christianity. And if there was no Christianity, then nobody would have cared about that little plot of land in Israel. Let the Muslims have it. Not good farmland anyways. Abraham's name has become a great name throughout the world because of Christ, because of the birth of Christ. So also God promises Abraham that he will bless those who bless him and his offspring, and he will curse those who curse him and his offspring. We see that in the Bible itself. Acts chapter 9, Paul on the Damascus road, going to Damascus in order to persecute Christians, to arrest them, to drag them to Jerusalem. And of course, God stops him. Jesus stops him. Says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know, Saul probably scratched his head for a minute and said, wait a minute, but you're dead. What do you mean persecute you? We killed you. Paul at that moment began to understand that all believers are the body of Christ. All believers are members of Christ's family. All believers are brothers and sisters of Christ. All believers are the spiritual offspring of Abraham. They are the people of God. They are the people of Christ. So Christ stops him. He says, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me and my people, me and my family? All of this is because of the promise given to Abraham that those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. We see this again in the teachings of Jesus, Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus teaches about the final judgment. When the Son of Man returns, he will take his seat upon his throne, he says, in verse 31 and following. And Christ will separate all of the peoples of the world as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. On his left, he will place the goat. On his right, he will place the sheep. And he'll say to the goats, I was hungry and you did not feed me. Thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked, sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And, of course, they will respond to him, when, Lord? When, when did I ever run across you, Jesus, and see you thirsty and not give you something to drink? I mean, first of all, I'm pretty sure I was born like thousands of years after you. But surely had I seen you thirsty, I would have given you water. I don't know what you're talking about. When did I ever not care for you, Jesus? And Jesus will say to me, for as much as you've not done it to the least of these, these who? 
He's likely referring to the sheep. His people, the spiritual seed of Abraham, as much as you've not done it to these, the least of my brethren, you've not done it unto me. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He says the opposite to the sheep. I was hungry, you fed me. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Naked, sick, and in prison, and you clothed me, and you visited me. When, Lord, did we do these things? For as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. This is all of the promises given to Abraham are fulfilled to Abraham and all of his spiritual descendants. That those who bless the seed of Abraham, God will bless. Those who curse and oppose the seed of Abraham, God himself will curse and he will oppose them. During this time of the year, throughout the month of December, as we celebrate Advent, we are celebrating the fact that at the beginning of creation, God makes a promise to Adam and Eve. At the very beginning of creation, God makes a promise to Adam and Eve that he will someday, someday send a redeemer. Even though they're the ones who ruined everything. And yes, they are cursed, but God is rich in mercy and compassion and promises to someday send someone who will fix what they have ruined. And then from that moment on, from Genesis 3.15 on, through the life of Abraham, through the life of Noah, and through the life of Abraham, and through the life of David, and through the lives of everybody else that falls in the line of Christ, God is sovereignly orchestrating every event in world history in order to bring about the fulfillment of that promise and to give us the assurance that he has indeed kept his promise. The birth of Christ in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago is the culmination of thousands of years and thousands of events that God moved into place in order to bring hope and light to the world. Christ, the seed of Abraham, is the blessing to all nations. He is the gift to all mankind. And this is what we celebrate during Advent. Let's pray. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we stand amazed by your grace and your compassion in the promise that you made to Adam and Eve. But we, always, we also stand amazed by all that you have done for us, your people, for those who have placed faith in Christ and are the spiritual offspring of Abraham.
Lord, as we read through the Old Testament, we see your sovereign hand in all of it, moving all of world history in a forward direction, moving all historical events toward that one singular moment in Bethlehem when Christ the King was born from Mary and Joseph to bring hope to the world so that through Abraham, the blessing would go out to all nations. And we are, we are, us Gentiles in this room living on the opposite side of Israel, we are the recipients of that blessing, of that promise fulfilled. And we are so thankful for your amazing grace and mercy. In Christ's name, amen.